Hey, drunk mythology friends. I'm Kate. And I'm Lucy Westenra. <laughs> and I somehow remain Kip. <laughs> <laughs> but we're the drunk, drunk, drunk Dracula? Dracula gals. 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 Well, you know what? Cheers, bitches, because this yeah, is, this is the it. final chapter, chapter 27 of Brahma Stroker, Stroker yes. Forever, Dracula. Yes. And it has Ooh. been a month it has of been drunk, something. Dracula <laughs> Gals, October, Drunktober. Yeah. We uh, straining perfume yeah, I, through a loaf of rye bread tober. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. cheers. I cheers. cheers. I've got my Jack. Vodka, you know, because I don't nice drink wine. Festive mug. <laughs> I there don't drink go. wine either. I'm not a big wine. Just doesn't appeal to me. What's wrong? Who oh, are that you? That is even? natural to you now, huh, Lucy? <laughs> <laughs> you perhaps would care to partake of other delights. That's right. <laughs> well, let's find out what delights are waiting for us. Okay, back on the road to B Streets. <laughs> You guys? Yeah. It's the next to last recap. Wait, next to, to last? My- yeah, because there's going to gonna be a little special recap That's mini. Right. So here we go. This is what just happened in chapter 26. Yes. The Scooby gang learns what it's like to have a really bad cell reception because the count is out of service range of Nina Mobile. We get a sea captain who is clearly a relative of Mr. Swales, some gratuitous anti-Semitic stereotypes. I'm looking at you, Adelphi theater type. And just as the men are wasting their fucking time with sea captains, paperwork and bribes, Mina comes to the fucking rescue with ye old version of a spreadsheet and clears everything up and shows them the next steps. Although, isn't that just kind of lazy plotting on the part of Stroker? Like he's getting tired of having the guys fumble around so he has Mina wrap it up as a reward Van Helsing suggests they use Mina as bait because that's the kind of stand-up guy he is also my liver is going to quit if he says dear madam Mina one more time (laughs) anyway (laughs) carry on (laughs) and actually like I do have something to drink with this time every time he says dear madam Mina or sterilize or stertorus or stertorus yeah Yeah. okay we're going to begin well first we're going to begin by doing this because this uh, this mask is not making it happen. Not working. Not working for me. Oh, but we need a wafer. It's a wafer. Oh no, I'm tainted. I'm clean. clean. <laughs> My flesh is unclean. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Mina Harker's journal. One November, all day long we've traveled, and at a good speed. The horses seem to know that they're being kindly treated, for they're willing to go their full stage at best speed. That is a horse's only job. Right. We had no way that so many cha- changes and find the same thing so constantly that we're encouraged to think that the journey will be an easy one. Oh, no, no. Dr. Helsing is laconic. He tells the farmers that he's hurrying to Bitstritz and pays them well to make the exchange of horses. We get hot soup or coffee or tea and off we go. It's a lovely country full of beauties of all imaginable kinds, and the people are brave and strong and simple and seem full of nice qualities. They're very, very superstitious. In the first house where we stopped, the woman who served us saw the scar on my forehead. She crossed herself and put two twinkers towards me to keep off the evil eye. I believe they went to the trouble of even putting an extra amount of garlic into our food, and I can't abide garlic. 
Poor darling, what I mean, are you missing? It's, a, it's a more of a sensitivity than an allergy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Ever since then, I've taken care not to have my hat or take off my hat or veil, and so we've escaped their suspicions. We're traveling fast, and as we have no driver with us to carry tails, we go ahead of scandal. But I dare say the fear of the evil eye will follow hard behind us all the way. The professor seems tireless. All day he would not take any rest, though he made me sleep for a long spell. At sunset time, he hypnotized me, and he says that I answered as usual, darkness, lapping water, creaking wood, so <laughs> our enemy's still on the river. I'm afraid to think of Jonathan, but somehow I have now no fear for him or for myself. I write this whilst we wait in a farmhouse for the horses to get ready. Dr. Van Helsing is sleeping. Poor dear, he looks very tired and old and gray, but his mouth is set as firm as a conqueror's. Even in his sleep, he is instinct with resolution. When we have well started, I must make him rest whilst I drive. I shall tell him that we have days before us, and we must not break down when most of all of his strength will be needed. All is ready. We are off shortly. <clears throat> Two November morning. I was successful, and we took turns driving all night. Now the day is on us, bright though cold. There's a strange heaviness in the air. I say heaviness for want of a better word. I mean that it oppresses us both. It's very cold, and only our warm furs keep us comfortable. At dawn, Van Helsing hypnotized me. He says I answered, darkness, creaking wood, roaring water, so the river is changing as they ascend. I do hope that my darling will not run any chance of danger. More, more Too late! Than me. <laughs> but... We are in God's hands. Oh, man. To November, night, all day long driving. The country gets wild as we go, and there's great spurs of the Carpathians, which at Veresti seemed so far from us and so low on the horizon, now seem to gather around us and tower in front. We both seem in good spirits. I think we make an effort to each other to cheer the other, and in doing so, we cheer ourselves. Dr. Van Helsing says that by morning, we shall reach the Borgo Pass. The houses are very few here now, and the professor says the last horse we got will have to go on with us as we may not be able to change. He got two in addition to the two he changed, so that now we have a rude four in hand. The dear, horses, the dear horses are so patient and good, and they give us no trouble. We're not worried with other travelers, and so even I can drive. Oh, my God. <laughs> we shall get to the pass in daylight. We do not want to arrive before, so we take it easy and each have a long, turn in, a long rest in turn. Oh, what will tomorrow bring us? We go to seek the place where my poor darling suffered so much. God grant we may be guided aright, and he will deign to watch over my husband and those so dear to us and are in such deadly peril. As for me, I am not worthy in his sight. <laughs> <laughs> Alas, I am unclean to his eyes unclean. and shall be until he may deign to let me stand forth in his sight as one of those who have not incurred his wrath. <clears throat> Memorandum by Abraham van Helsink, 4 November. This to my old and true friend John Stu Sewell, MD of Perfleet, London, in case I may not see him. <laughs> it may explain what I don't know. I'm not clear. Huh? <laughs> it is morning, and I write by a fire which all the night I have kept alive. Madame Nina aiding me, of course, you know, because I can't do it by myself. It is cold, cold, so cold that the gray, heavy sky is full of snow, which when it falls will settle for all winter on the ground, hardening to receive it. This, is that code for something? <laughs> It seems to have affected Madame Mina. She has been so heavy of head all day that she was not like herself. And like the past three weeks when she's been like this, she sleeps and sleeps and sleeps. She, who is usual, so alert, have done literally nothing at all the day. She have even lost her appetite. You're not my dad. <laughs> 
She make no entry in her little diary. She who writes so faithful at every pause. Something whispered to me that all is not well. <laughs> Whatever would make you think that, pal. However, tonight she's more vif. Her long sleep all day have refreshed and restored her, for now she is all sweet and bright as ever. She is smiling more. At sunset, I try to hypnotize her, but alas, no effect. Mina Mobile is out of service. Oh, no bars. has grown less and less with each day, and tonight it failed me altogether. Well, God's will be done, because I have not a clue. Whatever it may be, and whithersoever it may lead. Now, to the historical, for ma- as Madame Mina write not in her stenography, I must, in my cumbrous old fashion, so that each day may not go unrecorded. When we got to the Borgo Pass, just after sunrise yesterday morning, when I saw the signs of a dawn, I got ready for the hypnotism. We stopped our carriage and got down, so there might be no disturbance. I made a couch with the furs, and there Madame Mina, lying down, yielded herself as usual, but more slow and more short time than ever to hypnotic sleep. As before, came the answer. Darkness and swirling of water. Then she woke, bright and radiant, and we go on our way and soon reach the pass. <laughs> is she bright and radiant or is she heavy and sleepy? Hey, I don't know. It's good for something. Six At of this one. Time- place, she become all on fire with real, some new guiding power in her being manifested for she point to the road and say this is the way uh, how you know it, I ask of course I know it she answer and with a pause add have not my Jonathan traveled it and wrote of it in his travel, huh <laughs> ah, at first I think somewhat strange but soon I see that there be only one such by road. It is used but little and very different from the coast road from Bukovina to B Street, which is more wide and hard and of more use. So we Stop. came down this road when we meet the other ways. Not always were we sure that they were roads at all, for they be neglect and the lights no have fallen, and the horses no and they only. I give rein to them and they go on so patient because obviously I don't do Zen work myself. I always make everyone else do it. By and by, we find all the things which Jonathan have not in that wonderful diary of him. Then we go on for long, long hours and hours. At first, I tell Madame Mina to sleep. She try and she succeed. Ha! She sleep all the time. Till at last, I feel myself too suspicious grow and attempt to wake her. But she sleep on and I may not wake her though I try. I do not wish to try too hard lest I harm her, for I know that she have suffered much, and sleep at times be all in all to her. I think I drowse myself, for suddenly I feel guilt, as though I have done no. something. No, not you. No. <laughs> I find myself bought up with the reins in my hand, and the good horses go jog, jog, just as ever. <laughs> I look down, and I find Madame Mina still asleep. This is like falling asleep at the wheel, 19th century style. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it they didn't is have quaalude bumps on the side of the road back then. <laughs> right. ah, John left me a supply, huh? It is now not far off sunset time, and over the snow, light of the sun flow in big yellow flood, so that we throw great long shadows on the mountain rise so steep, for we are going up and up, and all is oh so wild and rocky as though it was the end of the world. Then... I arouse, Madame Mina. Sure you do, pal. <laughs> this time she wake with not so much trouble, and then I try to put her in the hypnotic sleep. But she sleep not, as uh, being as though I were not. 
Still, I try and try till all at once I find her and myself in the dark. So I look around and find that the sun has gone down. Madame Mina laughs, and I turn and look at her. Uh-oh. She is now quite awake. I look so well as I never saw her since the night at Carfax when we first entered the Count's house. Huh? I'm amazed and uh, not at ease then because she is so bright and tender and thoughtful for me that uh, I forget all my fear. Huh? I light a fire for we have brought supply of wood with us and she prepares the food while I undo the horses and set them tethered in shelter to feed. Then when I return to the fire, she have my supper ready. I go to help her, but she smiles and tells me she have eaten already and that she was so hungry that she would not wait. Uh-oh. I like it not. I have the grave mm-hmm. doubts, but I fear to affright her. And so I am silent of it there because not Cause saying anything. Because that's worked so well up to this <laughs> yeah. point. Just keep it to yourself, pal. Exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> oh. She helped me and I eat alone. And then we wrap in fur and lie beside the fire and I tell her to sleep while I watch. But presently, I forget all of watching. <laughs> Worst watchman ever. And when sudden, I suddenly remember that I watch, I find her lying quiet but awake and looking at me with so bright eyes. Once, twice more, the same occurs, and I get much sleep till before morning when I wake to try to hypnotize her. But alas, though she sh- shut her eyes obedient, she may not sleep. The sun rises up and up and up, and then we come to her too late, but so heavy that she will not wake. I have to lift her up and place her sleeping in the carriage where I have harnessed the horses and made all ready. Madame still sleep, and she look in her sleep more healthy and more redder than before. Oh, you think I I just got it done? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And I like it not, and I am afraid, afraid, afraid. I am afraid of all things. I am a coward, even to think, but I must go on my way. The stake which we play for is life or death or more than these, and we must not flinch. 5 November, morning. Let me be accurate in everything, for though you and I have seen some strange things together, you may think at first that I, Van Helsing, am mad. Yeah, we've thought that from the beginning. Who is he he addressing? John Seward. Okay. Thank you. That the many horrors and the so long strain on nerves has at last done my brain. And all yesterday, we travel, ever getting closer to the mountains and moving into the more and more wild and desert land. There are great frowning precipices and much falling water, and nature seemed to have held sometime her carnival. <laughs> Madame Mina still sleep and sleep, and though I did have hunger and appeased it, I could not wake her, even for food. I begin to fear that the fatal spell of the place was upon her, tainted as she is with the vampire baptism, and I... I even tried penicillin. Well, <laughs> I said to myself, if it be that she sleep all the day, it shall also be that I do not sleep at night. That makes no sense. Yeah. As we travel on the rough road for a road of an ancient and imper- imperfect kind there was, I held down my head and slept. Oops. <laughs> Again, I waked with a sense of guilt and of time past and found Madame Mina still sleeping and the sun low down. But... All was indeed changed, for the frowning mountain seemed further away, and we were near the top of a steep rising on a hill on a summit, of which was such a castle as Jonathan Tell of in his diary. Mm-hmm. At once um, I exalted and feared, for now, for good or ill, the end is near. 
Don't tease I, me. Right? <laughs> Please. <laughs> I work with Amina. And again, try to hypnotize her. But alas, unavailing till too late. Then, as the great dark came upon us, for even after sun, uh, down sun, the heavens reflected the gone sun on the snow. And all for a time was in a great twilight. I took out the horses and fed them in what shelter I could. Then I made a fire, and near it I make Madame Mina now awake and more charming than ever sit comfortable on her hugs. I got ready food, but she would not eat, simply saying that she had not hunger. I did not press her, <laughs> knowing her unavailingness, but I myself eat. Ah, for I must needs be strong for all, like Joe. Yeah. <laughs> then, with a fear on me of what might be, I drew a ring so big for her comfort around where Madame Mina sat. And over the ring, I passed some little bit of wafer and I broke it so fine that it was all well guarded. It's a salt circle, only it's a wafer circle. She sat still all the time, so still as one dead. And she grew whiter mm. and whiter till even the snow was not more pale. And no word she said, but when I drew near, she clung to me, and I could know that the poor soul shook from her head to her feet with a tremor that was pain to feel. I said to her presently, uh, when she had grown more quiet, will you not come over to the fire? For I wished to make a test of what she could, huh? Because I yeah. love experimenting on people who are on suffering. Live subjects, right? Yeah. She rose obedient, but when she had made a step, she stopped and stood as one stricken. Why not go on? I asked. She shook her head and coming back sat down in her place. Then looking at me with the eyes of one wakened from sleep, she said simply, I cannot. And remained silent. I rejoiced because I love talking. <laughs> if she stopped talking. <laughs> for I knew that she could not. None of those that we dreaded could. So there might be danger to her body. Her soul was yet safe. Well, that's really all that counts. E worst doctor ever. Presently, yep. the horses began to scream and tore at their tethers till I came to them and quieted them. When they did feel my hands on them, they whinnied low as in joy and licked my hands and were quiet for a time. Good horsey, better than my dogs. Many times through all the night I did come to them till it arrived to the cold hour when all nature is at its lowest. And every time my coming was quiet of them. In the cold hours, the fire began to die, and I was about stepping forth to replenish it. For now the snow came in flying sweeps, and with it a chill mist. Even in the dark there was the light of some kind, as ever there is over snow. And it seemed as though the snow flurries and wreaths of mist took on shapes of women with trailing garments. Eh? Uh-oh. Always in dead grim silence, only the horses whinnied and cowered, as if in terror of the worst. I began to fear. Horrible fears, but then came to me the sense of safety in the ring wherein I stood. With uh, me, the undead brides have entered the chat. <laughs> <laughs> I began to think that my imaginings were of the night and the gloom and the unrest I had gone through, and all the terrible anxiety. It was as though the memories of old Jonathan's horrid experience were befooling me. For the snowflakes and the mist began to wheel and circle around till I could get as though a shadowy glimpse of the women that would have kissed him. Ah, not bad, huh? And then the horses cowered lower and lower and moaned in terror as men do in pain. Mm. Even the madness of fright was not to them so that they could that break noise? away. <laughs> I was trying to make a horse moaning lowly. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Svadalfari, uh, paging Svadalfari. <laughs> Even the madness of the fright was not to them for they could not break away. I feared for my... Uh, 
for my dear, my dear Madame Mina, drank. <laughs> when these weird figures drew near the circle and round, I looked at her, but she sat calm and smiled at me. When I would have stepped back to the fire, she replenished it. She caught me and held me back and whispered, like a voice that one hears in a dream, so low was it. No, no, do not go without here. You are safe. I turned to her and looking in her eyes said, but you, it is for you that I fear. Whereat she laughed a low, <laughs> low, unreal <laughs> and said, fear for me. Why fear for me? None safe in all the world from them than I am. And as I wondered at the meaning of her words, a puff of wind made the flames leap up, and I see the red scar on her forehead. Then, alas, I knew, did I not? I would soon have learned, for the wheeling figures of mist and snow come closer, but keeping ever without the holy circle. Then they began to materialize still, if God have not taken away my reason, eh? For I saw it through my eyes. There were before me in actual flesh the same three women that Jonathan saw in his room when they would have kissed his throat. Let's go with throat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew the swaying round forms, the bright hard eyes, the white teeth, the ruddy colors, the voluptuous lips. Yeah, I had a postcard like that once when I was a young man in Amsterdam. <laughs> they smiled at ever. Poor dear Madame Mina drank. <laughs> and as their laugh came through the silence of the night, they twined their arms and pointed <laughs> to her and said to, in those so sweet tingling tones that Jonathan said were of intolerable sweetness with the water glasses. Come, sister. Yes. Come to us. Come. Come. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> In fear, I told to my poor Madame Mina. Drink. It might as well, right? <laughs> and my heart with gladness leapt like flame for all the terror in her sweet eyes, the repulsion, the horror told a story to my heart that was of all hope. <laughs> God be thanked, she was not yet of them. I yes. seized some of the firewood which was by me and holding out some of the wafer, advanced on them toward the fire. They drew back before me and laughed their low, horrid laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I fed the fire and feared them not, for I knew that we were safe within our protection. They could not approach me whilst so armed, nor Madame Mina, while she remained within the ring, which she could not leave no more than they could enter. <laughs> the horses ceased to moan and lay still on the ground. Snow fell on them softly and they grew whiter. I knew that there was for the poor beasts no more of terror. Oh, R.I.P. horses. God damn it. Why do they have to fucking fuck with the animals? And so like, we- girls gotta eat, right? <laughs> and so we <laughs> remained till the red of dawn to fall through the snow gloom. I was desolate and afraid and full of woe and terror, even though I had just been unafraid and full of courage a few minutes before. Eh? <laughs> but when the beautiful sun began to cleanse the horizon, life was to me again. At first coming of the dawn, the horrid figures melted in the welling mist of the snow. The wreaths of transparent gloom moved away towards the castle and were lost. Instinctively, with the dawn coming, I turned to Madame Mina, intending to hypnotize her, but she lay in a deep and sudden sleep from which I could not wake her. I tried to hypnotize her through sleep, but she made no response. None at all, eh? And the day broke. I failed yet to stir. I have made my fire and seen the horses. They're all dead. 
today <laughs> much to do here and keeping waiting till the sun is high for there may be places where i must go whereas that sunlight through snow and mist obscure it will be to me a safety i will strengthen me with the breakfast the uh, most important meal of the day and Absolutely. then i will do my terrible work madame Ina still sleeps god be thanked she is calm in her sleep jonathan harker's journal for november evening the accident to the launch has been a terrible thing for us. You think? Only for it we should have overtaken the boat long ago, and by now my dear Mina would have been free. I fear to think of her off on the woods near that horrid place. We have got horses and we follow on the track. I note this while Scottleming is getting ready. We have our arms. The Zagani. Mm -hmm. Must look out if they mean fight. Oh, if only Morris and Seward were with us. Speak we so must say we all. <laughs> <laughs> we must only hope if I write no more. Goodbye, Mina. God bless and keep you. <laughs> Dr. Seward's diary. These are the guys we like. 5 November. With the dawn, we saw the body of Sagani before us dashing away from the river with their later wagon. They surrounded it in a cluster and hurried along as though beset. The snow is falling lightly and there is a strange excitement in the air. It may be our own feelings, but- Or the, the end of the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> but the depression is strange. Far off, I hear the howling of wolves. The snow brings them down from the mountains. And there are dangers to all of us from all sides. The horses are nearly ready and we are soon off. We ride to death of someone. God alone knows who or where or what or when or how it may be. Really helpful, Covering guys. all your bases. <laughs> nice reporter. <laughs> England's fourth worst reporter. <laughs> Dr. Van Elsing's memorandum. Because I can't quit. Won't quit. <laughs> 5 November, afternoon. I am at least sane. <laughs> Thank God that mercy of, at all events. Though the proving it has been dreadful, huh? When I left Madame Mina sleeping within the holy circle, I took my way to the castle. The blacksmith's hammer, which I took in the carriage from the ver from Veresti, was useful. Huh? Through the, though the doors were all open, I broke them off rusty inches, lest some ill intent or ill chance should close them, so that being entered, I might not get out. Okay, well, that was actually a smart idea. You uh, did the one good one I ever read this <laughs> entire book. Well done. <laughs> My boat has been shot. <laughs> Jonathan's bitter experience of me here. By memory of his diary, I found my way to the old chapel down and to the left, for I knew here my work lay. The air was oppressive. It seemed there was some sulfurous fume which at times made me dizzy. Either there was a roaring in my ears or I heard afar off the howl of wolves. Oh! Then I besought me of my dear Madamina, and I was in terrible plight. The dilemma had me between his horns. <laughs> I'm sorry, that is code for something. I don't know what, but... <laughs> Well, had I not dared to take into this place, but left safe from the vampire in that holy circle, and yet even there would be the wolf. Eh? Oh. I, re <laughs> <laughs> I resolved me that my work lay here. Sorry, Mina. And that as to the wolves, we must admit, if it were God's will, 
What the what? fuck? <laughs> Time out on the playing field, motherfucker. <laughs> Sucks to suck. That's you what my daughter this would say. Far, and then you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, you know what? Mina should be armed. She should be armed. She has, she has a large bore revolver. She is armed. She's well, asleep, she but she's sword. armed. She has a safety pin, too. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Uh, all right. At any rate, it was only death and freedom beyond, except it isn't because if she dies before Dracula, where is his editor? So did I choose for her. Had it been for myself, the choice would have been easy. The maw of the wolf are better to rest than in my grave of the vampire. So I make my cho- choice to go on with my work. <laughs> I knew that there were at least three graves to find. Graves that are in habit. So I search and search and I find one of them. She lay in her vampire sleep so full of life and voluptuous beauty that I shudder <clears throat> as though I have come to do murder. You have. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I doubt not that in the old time when such things were, many a man who set forth to do such a task as mine found at the last his heart fail him and then his nerve. So he delay and delay and delay till the mere beauty and the fascination of the wanton undead have hypnotized him. That's not how hypnosis works. And he remain on and on till sunset come and the vampire sleep be over. Then the beautiful eyes of the fair woman open and look love and the voluptuous mouth present to a kiss. The man is weak, <laughs> and there remain one more victim in the vampire fold, one more to swell the grim and grisly ranks of the undead. There is some fascination, surely, when I am moved by the mere presence of such an one, even lying as she is in a tomb, fretted with the age and heavy with the dust. So much dust, dust again. So much of dust. centuries, that there be horrid odors, such as the lairs of the Count of Ad. Yes, I was moved. I was with all my purpose and with my motor for hate. I was moved to a yawning <laughs> for delay, <laughs> which seemed to paralyze my faculties and to clog my very soul. Is that what we're calling it now? <laughs> it's good for something. It may have been the need of natural sleep. That's what I, that my story, sure. and I stick with it. And strange oppression of the air were beginning to overcome me. Certain it was that I was lapsing into sleep, the open-eyed sleep of the one who yields to a sweet fascination, like hypnotism, eh? where there <laughs> came through the snow, stilled air a long, low wail, so full of woe and pity that it woke me like the sound of a clarion, for it was the voice of my dear Madame Mina that I heard. Drink. I'm pretty sure that was an ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> then I braced myself again to the horrid task and found by wrenching away the tomb tops, one other of the sisters, the other dark one. I dared not to pause to look on her as I had on the sister, lest once more I should begin to be in trial. But I go on searching presently until I find in a high great tomb as if made to one much beloved, that other fair sister, which uh-huh. like Jonathan I had seen to gather herself out of atoms of the mist. She was so fair to look at. Eh? You got the brunette, you got the blonde. So radiantly beautiful, so exquisitely voluptuous. That's a very instinct of man in me, which calls some of my sex to love and to protect one of hers. 
made my head well with a new emotion. Hmm. But God be thanked that uh, soul whale of my dear Madame Mina had not yet died out of me. <laughs> not yet died out of my ears. And before the spell could be wrought further upon me, I had nerved myself to my wild work. By this time, I had searched all the tombs in the chapel. So far as I could tell, there had been only the three of these undead phantoms in the, around us in the night. I took it that there were no more of active undead existence. There was one great tomb more lordly than all the rest. Huge it was. It was a big one <laughs> and nobly proportioned. On it was but one word. Dracula. <laughs> Oh, surprise! surprise. No surprise! <laughs> <laughs> this then was the undead home of the king vampire to whom so many were due. Its emptiness spoke eloquent to make certain what I knew. Before I began to restore these women to their dead selves through my awful work, I laid in Dracula's tomb some of the wafer and so banished him from it undead forever. <laughs> then my terrible task began and I dreaded it. Had it been but one, it had been easy, comparative, but three to begin twice more after I'd been through such a deed of horror, for it was, if it was terrible with the sweet Miss Lucy, what would it not have been with these strange ones who had survived through the centuries and who had been strengthened by the passing of the years, who would, if they could, have fought for their foul lives? Oh, my friend Jean, but it was butcher work. Had I not been nerved by thoughts of the other dead, of the living over whom hung such a pot of fear, I could not have gone on. I tremble, and <clears throat> tremble even yet. <laughs> so till all was over. God be thanked, my nerve did st stand. <laughs> Your nerve, huh? Nerve. <laughs> Go with that. Had I not seen the repose in the first place and the gladness that stole over it ere just the final dissolution came as realization uh, that the soul had been won, I could not have gone further with my butchery. I could not have endured the horrid screeching as the stake drove home. The stake drove home. The plunging of Was writhing, writhing? I knew there'd be writhing. <laughs> <laughs> and the lips of bloody foam. Hmm. I should have fled in terror and left my work undone. But it is over. And the poor souls, I can pity them now and weep, huh? as I think of each of them placid, each in her full sleep of death for a short moment ere fading. Bye-bye. <laughs> for friend Jean, hardly had my knife severed the head of each before the whole body began to melt away and crumble into its native dust. A, a lot of dust. It makes me very suspicious of all the other dust I have encountered in the rest of this book. That's As a very good point. point. <laughs> As though the dust that should have come some centuries ago had at last asserted himself and say at once and loud, I'm here! <laughs> Before I left the castle, I so fixed its entrances that never more can the count enter there undead. When I stepped into the circle where Madame Mina slept, she woke from her sleep and seeing me cried out in pain that I endured too much. Come, come away from this awful place. Let us go to meet my husband, who is, I know, coming towards us. She was looking thin and pale and weak, but her eyes were pure and glowed with fervor. I was glad to see her paleness and her illness, for my mind was full of the fresh horror of that ruddy vampire sleep. And so with trust 
and hope. And yet for the fear, we go eastward to meet some of our friends and him, whom Madame Mina tell me that she know are coming to meet us. Mina Hawker's journal, 6 November. It was late in the afternoon when the professor and I took our way towards the east whence I knew Jonathan was coming. We did not go fast, though the way was sleepily, steeply downhill, for we had to take heavy rugs and wraps with us. We dared not face the possibility of being left without warmth in the cold and snow. We had to take some of our provisions, too, for we were in perfect desolation, and so far as we could see through the snowfall, there was not even the sign of habitation. When we got about a mile, I was tired with the heavy walking and sat down to rest. Then we looked back and saw where the clear line of Dracula's castle caught the sky, for we were so deep under the hill whereon it sat that the angle of perspective of the Carpathian Mountains was far below it. We saw it in all its grandeur, perched a thousand feet on the summit of a sheer precipice, and with seemingly a great gap between it and the steep of the adjacent mountain on any side. There was something wild and uncanny about the place. We could hear the distant howling of the wolves. They were far, thank you. They were far off, but the sound, even though coming muffled through the deadening snowfall, was full of terror. I knew from the way Dr. Van Helsing was searching about that he was trying to seek some strategic point where we would be less exposed in case of an attack. The rough roadway still led downward. We could trace it through the drifting snow. In a little while, the professor signaled to me, so I got up and joined him. He found a wonderful spot, a sort of a natural hollow in a rock with an entrance like a doorway between two boulders. He took me by the hand and drew me in. See, here you will be in shelter, and if the wolves do come, I can meet them one by one, huh? Awesome. I am strong like bull. Sure. He brought in our <laughs> furs me. and made a snug, a snug nest for me and got out some provisions and forced them on me. But I couldn't eat. Even to try to do so was repulsive to me. And much as I would have liked to please him, I could not bring myself to the attempt. He looked very sad, but did not reproach me. Taking his field glasses from the case, he stood on top of the rock and began to search the horizon. Suddenly, he called out. Look! Madamina, look, look! I sprang up and stood beside him on the rock. He handed me his glasses and pointed. The snow was now falling more heavily and swirled about fiercely for a high wind was beginning to blow. However, there were times when there were pauses between the snow flurries and I could see a long way round. From the height where we were, it was possible to see a great distance. Excuse me? <coughs> That's the snow. Yeah. Yeah. And far off between the, beyond the white all the <laughs> dust. Beyond the white wastes of snow, I could see the river lying like a black ribbon in kinks and curls as it wound its way. Straight in front of us and not far off, in fact, so near that I wondered had we not noticed before, came a group of mounted men hurrying along. In the midst of them was a cart, a long later wagon which swept from side to side like a dog's wagging tail, with each stern <laughs> inequality of the road outlined against the snow as they were. I could see from the men's clothes that they were peasants or gypsies, sorry, of some kind. On the cart was a great square chest. My heart leapt as I saw it, for I felt that the end was coming. The, oh, evening, was now, the <laughs> evening was drawing close, and I well knew that it was a sunset. I well knew that at sunset, the thing, which was then imprisoned there, would take new freedom and could in any of many forms elude all pursuit. I resent being called thing. <laughs> I can dig it. In fear, I turned to the professor to my consternation. However, he was not there. An instant later, I saw him below me. Round the rock, he'd drawn a circle, such as we found shelter last night. When he completed it, he stood beside me again, saying, At least here you shall be safe from him. He took the glasses from me, and at the next lull of the snow swept the whole space before us. See, they come quickly. They are flogging the horses and galloping as hard as they can. 
He paused and went on in a hollow voice. They are racing for the sunset. We may be too late. God will be done. Down came another blinding rush of driving snow, and the whole landscape was blotted out. It soon passed, however, and once more his glasses were fixed upon the plain. Then came a sudden cry. Look! Look, see two horsemen follow fast. Coming up from the south, it must be Quincy and John. And they're Please coming, God. And they're, co- they're coming up close. And oh, oh, it's uh, Quincy and John. It's Quincy <laughs> and John taking the lead. Takes a glass. Look before the snow blots it all out. I took it and I looked. The two dead men might be Doctor Seward and Mister Morris. I knew all events that neither of them was Jonathan. At the same time, Thanks, I knew Jonathan. Jonathan. <laughs> I knew that Jonathan was not far off. Looking around, I saw on the north side of the coming party two other men riding at breakneck speed. One of them I knew was Jonathan, and the other I took, of course, of course to be Lord Godalming. They, too, were pursuing the party with the cart. When I told the professor, he shouted in glee like a schoolboy. And after <laughs> looking intently till a snowfall made sight impossible, he laid his Winchester rifle ready for use against the boulder at the opening of our shelter. They are all converging! When the time comes, we shall have gypsies on all sides, and I am so sorry for having to say that word. I got out my revolver ready to hand, for whilst we were speaking, the howling of wolves came louder and closer. (laughs) When the snowstorm abated a moment, we looked again. It was strange to see the snow falling in such heavy flakes close to us, and beyond, the sun shining more and more brightly as it sank down towards the mountaintops. Sweeping the glass all around us, I could see here and there dots moving singly in twos and threes and larger numbers. The wolves were gathering for their prey. That's Every a instant, goat, not a wolf. <laughs> Every instant, hand, whatever. <laughs> There's something out there. Every instant seemed an age while we waited. The wind came now in fierce bursts, and the snow was driven with fury as it swept upon us in circling eddies. At times, we could not see an arm's length before us, but at others, as the hollow-sounding wind swept by, it seemed to clear the space around us so that we could see afar off. We'd have late been so accustomed to watch for sunrise and sunset that we knew with fair accuracy when it would be, and we probably have a watch, and we knew that before long, the sun would set. It was hard to believe that by our watches, thank you, it was less than an hour that we waited in that rocky shelter before the various bodies began to converge close upon us. The wind came now with fiercer and more bitter sweeps. And more steadily from the north, it had seemed the driven snow clouds. It had driven the snow clouds from us, for with only occasional bursts, the snow fell. We could distinguish clearly the individuals of each body, the pursued and the pursuers. Strangely enough, those pursued did not seem to realize, or at least to care, that they were pursued. They seemed, however, to hasten with redoubled speed as the sun dropped <coughs> lower and lower on the mountain tops. Closer and closer they drew. The professor and I crouched down behind our rock and held our weapons ready. I could see he was quite determined they should not pass. One and all were quite unaware of our presence. All at once, two voices shouted out, Halt! Halt! We, we could have done that in unison. Do that again. All at once, two voices shouted out, Halt! Halt. Thank you. <laughs> One was my Jonathan's, raised in a high key of passion. The other, Mr. Morris, strong, resolute of tone of quiet command. The gypsies may not have known the language, but there was no mistaking the tone in whatever tongue the words were spoken. Instinctively, they reined in, and at the instant Lord Godalming and Jonathan dashed up to one side, Dr. Seward and Mr. Morris on the other. The leader of the gypsies, sorry, a splendid, I'm going to have to donate to Rain or something when we're done with this. (laughs) A splendid looking fellow who sat his horse like a centaur, waved them back and in a fierce voice gave to his companions some word to proceed. They lashed the horses, which sprang forward, but the four men raised their Winchester rifles and in unmistakable way commanded them to stop. 
At the same moment, Dr. Van Helsing and I rose between the rocks and pointed our weapons at them. Seeing that they were shoot. <laughs> seeing that they were surrounded, the men tightened their rein and drew up. The leader turned to them and gave a word at which every man of the gypsy party, sorry, drew what weapon he carried, knife or pistol, and held him in readiness to attack. Issue was joined in an instant. The leader, with a quick movement of his rein, threw his horse out in front and pointed first to the sun, now close down on the hilltops, and then to the castle, said something which I did not understand. <laughs> in Romany, he said that. <laughs> For answer, all four of our party threw themselves from their horses and dashed towards the cart. I should have felt terrible fear at seeing Jonathan in such danger, but the ardor of battle must have been upon me as well as the rest of them. Team I Mina. No fear, but only a wild surging desire to do something. And I picked up my weapon and. <laughs> That's right. I am armed and dangerous. <laughs> the movement of our parties, the leader of the gypsies, sorry, gave a command. His men instantly formed round the cart in some sort of undisciplined endeavor, each one shouldering and pushing the other in his eagerness to carry out the order. In the midst of this, I could see that Jonathan on one side of the ring of men and Quincy on the other were forcing away to the cart. It was evident they were bent on finishing their task before the sun should set. Nothing seemed to stop or even hinder them. Neither the leveled weapons nor the flashing knives of the gypsies, sorry, in front, nor the howling of the wolves behind. <laughs> Even here to even attract their attention. Jonathan's impetuosity and the manifest singleness of his purpose seemed to overawe those in front of him. Instinctively, hey, they cowed aside and let him pass. <laughs> in an instant, he had jumped on the cart and with a strength which seemed incredible, raised the great box and flung it over the wheel to the ground. Wow, Ooh. Jonathan. Wow. <laughs> in the meantime, Mr. Morris had used, the, his, used force to pass through his side of the ring of Zgani. All the time, I've been breathlessly watching Jonathan with the tail of my eye, seen him pressing forward desperately and seen the knives of the gypsies flash as he won away through them and they cut at him. He parried too with his great bowie knife and at first I thought he too had come out in safety, but as he sprang beside Jonathan, who had by now jumped from the cart, I could see that his left hand was clutching at his side, uh-oh, and that the blood was spurting through his fingers. God damn it. He did not delay withstanding this, for as Jonathan, with desperate energy, attacked one end of the chest, attempting to prise off the lid with his great kukri knife, he attacked the other frantically with his buoy. Under the efforts of both men, the lid began to yield, the nails drew back with a quick screeching sound, and the top of the backs was thrown back. By this time, the gypsies, sorry, seeing themselves covered <laughs> by the Winchesters and at the mercy of Lord Godalming and Dr. Seward, had given in and made no resistance. The sun was almost down on top of the mountaintops. The shadow of the whole group fell long upon the snow. I saw the Count lying within the box upon the earth, some of which of the rude falling from the cart had scattered over him. Ah, was dusty! He was deathly pale, just like a waxen image, and the red eyes glared with the horrible, vindictive look which I knew too well. As I looked, the eyes saw the sinking sun, and the look of hate in them turned to triumph. Oh! But on an instant came the sweep and flash of Jonathan's great knife. I shrieked as I saw it shear through the throat, whilst at the same time Mr. Morris's bowie knife plunged into the heart. It was like a miracle. But before our very eyes and almost in the drawing of a breath, the whole body crumbled into dust and passed from our sight. Bye. I shall be glad as long as I live that even in that moment of final dissolution, there was a face of look 
of peace, such as I never could imagine might have rested there. I think the you castle, imagined it, Mina. I'm sorry. The castle of Dracula <laughs> now stood out against the red sky, and every stone of its broken battlements was articulated against the light of the setting sun. The gypsies, sorry, taking us as some way the cause of the extraordinary disappearance of the dead man, turned without a word and rode away as if for their lives. They knew Yee! they weren't getting paid. Those who were unmounted jumped upon the later wagon and shouted to the horsemen not to desert them. The wolves, which had withdrawn to a safe distance, followed in their wake, leaving us alone. (laughs) Mr. Morris, who had sunk to the ground, leaned on his elbow, holding his hand pressed to his side. The blood still gushed through his fingers. I flew to him, for the holy circle did not keep me back, and so did the two doctors. Jonathan knelt behind him, and the wounded man laid his back it up back his head on his shoulder. With a sigh, he took, with a feeble effort, my hand and that of his own, which was unstained. He must have seen the anguish on my heart and my face, for he smiled at me and said, I'm only too happy to have been of any service. Oh, God. (laughs) He he cried suddenly, struggling up to his sitting posture and pointing to me. It was worth this for this to die? Because look. Look. The sun was now right down upon the mountaintop and the red gleams upon my face, so it was bathed in rosy light. With one impulse, the men sank on their knees and a deep and earnest, Amen. Amen? Amen? That again. Come on. Okay. Amen. Amen. Broke from all as their eyes followed the pointing of his finger. The dying man spoke. Now God be thanked that all has not been in vain. See, the snow is not more stainless than her forehead. <laughs> and to our bitter grief, has passed away. <laughs> and to our bitter grief, with a smile and in silence, he died a gallant gentleman. There were two doctors there. <laughs> but the most important thing is, I'm free. <laughs> that waxing it, that waxident from your bad <laughs> waxing job is gone. It's gone. <laughs> All right, so we have a note from John Harker, Jonathan. Oh, oh, out of everybody, he survives? Well, everybody but Quincy survived. Right. And, and Dracula. Like the 15 people that got killed by uh, by Van Helsing. Right. Well, right. yeah, I mean, yeah. and Lucy. And just saying. Yeah. And the three and the brides horses. and Dracula and Renfield and the horses. Yeah, yeah, okay. But other than that, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Note, seven years ago, we all went through the flames, and the happiness of some of us since then is, we think, well worth the pain we endured. It is an added joy to Mina and to me that our boy's birthday is the same day as that on which Quincy Morris died. What? His mother holds, I know, the secret belief that some of our brave friend's spirit has passed into him. His bundle of names links all our little band of men together, but we call him Quincy. But his nickname is Saltine. (laughs) That's what they call him in the schoolyard. I'm Saltine. In the summer of this year, we made a journey to Transylvania and went over the old ground, which was and is to us so full of vivid and terrible memories. Why the it was fuck almost, would you do that? Yeah. Scene of the crime. Right? It was almost impossible to believe that the things which we had seen with our own eyes and heard with our own ears were living truths. Every trace of all that had been was blotted out. 
The castle stood as before, reared high above a waste of desolation. When we got home, we were talking of the old time, which we could all look back on without despair, for Godalming and Seward are both happily married. To each other? That's was my question. I'm hoping because they clearly were not suited for anybody else. And yeah, I took the papers from the safe where they had been ever since our return so long ago. We were struck with the fact that in all the mass of material of which the records is composed, there is hardly one authentic document. Nothing but a mass of typewriting except the latter notebooks of Mina and Seward and myself and Van Helsing's memorandum. What about the newspaper clippings? Hello? We could hardly ask anyone, even did we wish to, to accept these as proofs of so wild a story. Van Helsing summed it all up, as he said, with our boy on his knee. We want no proofs. We ask none to believe us. We just post it on Facebook. This boy (laughs) will someday know what a brave and gallant woman his mother is. Already he knows her sweetness and loving care, because that's what's important. Later on, he will understand how some men so loved her that they did their much for her sake. Signed, Jonathan Harker. The fucking end. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did it. Yeah, we did it. We did we it. Did it. We did it. <laughs> Holy shit, we did it. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, the story might be over, but we but- have one more drunk Dracula gals episode left for you guys. Yay! Yay! You'll get the chapter twenty-seven recap. Some inside scoops on the crazy journey through this project, a couple of hints of what's to come, and maybe a little cathartic rage. Oh, hell, I can't wait. It's all cathartic rage. Yay! (laughs) Cathartic, cathartic. (laughs) Rage, rage, rage. rage. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash drugmythologygals. That's right. There are only a few days left in the month of October to join us on Patreon at the Drunk Dracula Gals tier for only $1. You get these Drunk Dracula episodes plus all of our other Lit Crit episodes. That's right. And you know what? You can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Drunk Mythology Gals, on Twitter at Drunk Myth Gals, on the web at DrunkMythologyGals.com, and on TikTok at Drunk Mythology Gals. We're on TikTok? We are on TikTok now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Say the name, say where we are again. Drunk Mythology Gals. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating, a review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, um, yeah, so we're going to just have a bunch of traveling and then like a really quick ending and all the characters we actually like are going to die. Are you in? Finally. Let's do it. (laughs) Always remember, if the undead can behave badly, then so can you. 